Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. So thanks for joining us today for a special episode of Moral Matters. Today we have Dr. Hallie Brooks, who is an emergency room physician in upstate New York. And we asked Hallie to join us because um, she had a very heartfelt post on social media. And it really spoke to a lot of what we're hearing from many physicians on the front lines. And not just physicians, but nurses, respiratory therapists. Um, They're all tired. And we thought it was really important to bring you that story in their own voices. So with that, we are going to bring in Dr. Hallie Brooks. Hallie, thanks for joining us. Um, Could you just give us a little bit about what your practice is like? Hi, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Um, You know, right now it's, it's busy. It's very busy. Part of the problem, and I think it feels more overwhelming now because of all of the things that we have to do for patients who are COVID positive or or possibly having COVID. You basically have to suspect that anybody has COVID. We've had a lot of patients who present with abdominal complaints, nausea, abdominal pain, and then their workup for the abdomen is negative and you do a CAT scan and you see the bottom of their lungs and they have COVID. And, you know, sometimes they're been in the hall because that's all the beds we have left. Um, So you always have to be vigilant. But all of the processes that go along with that, you know, taking on and off the PPE, um, you know, just all of those extra time consuming things that were not in our life before. And now that we have the same volume that we almost the same volume that we had before, it just seems very overwhelming and everyone's exhausted um, just from doing that, from, you know, all of the same things everyone else is exhausted from being isolated, wearing a mask. I mean, wearing an N95 for 12 hours in a row is not comfortable day after day after day. Um, I, I think the uh, ENTs who do rhinoplasty nose jobs are going to have a, a great boon uh, when the end of this uh, finally comes. But it, yeah, it, it's it's very very frustrating. Um, just feeling feeling really exhausted, um, and it's tough too because the you know none of the patients' families can be there, so you get in emotionally difficult situations. They're maybe they're dying, maybe they don't speak English, maybe they you know are demented and they can't give you a story, and so you're taking a lot of extra time to kind of get the story on the front end. And then a lot of times you need to follow up on that and give them the results and what's going on on the back end. So that's a lot more time for you talking to families that, you know, aren't contemporaneously talking with the patient. So, you know, sometimes they'll call them and say, hey, would you mind talking to so-and-so, but maybe they don't have a cell phone or they don't remember the number or whatever it is. And, you know, they want to be in the loop, which is totally understandable, but it's something that takes even more time. And all of these things are adding up to the same volume. And so it just feels really overwhelming with the amount of, uh, of time, even though there's not really that many more patients. And thank God it hasn't been a bad flu season because otherwise we would have, I don't know what we would have done to be perfectly honest. Hallie, the, the, the word overwhelming gets thrown around a lot and it's just, you know, it, 
it's a simple word, but it really <laughs> encapsulates what's going on, I think, for a lot of people. And what you're talking about is sounds very familiar, and we hear this a lot. Um, could you talk a little bit about how things were like in March? What was the difference now from what things were like, you know, almost a year ago now? I mean, back then, it was actually super quiet. I mean, we saw our normal volume is about 150 patients a day, and we were down to like 90 and 100 um, because people were legitimately afraid to come in. And obviously, it, it was something that, you know, COVID was something that was frightening, and people, I think, knew less about it. It had been less politicized. All of like wearing of masks and things like that was not politicized. So people were generally listening to warnings saying, you know, unless you have an emergency condition, don't don't come in. And some people were taking that to the extreme, like even when they had an emergency condition, they didn't come in. So it was actually um, a, a lot quieter. We saw much less percentage of COVID than we're seeing right now. Um, but, you know, it, it was nice in that it sort of gave us a little bit of time to adjust and get ready for you know, doing all of the things that we're doing kind of ordinarily now. But, um, and I think in some instances, and maybe this is just sort of combat fatigue, quote unquote, is that it seems a little bit less scary now, COVID. I'm not saying it's any less serious, but then it was such a novelty that it was like, oh my gosh. And now that you've been dealing with it for nine months, it's like, okay, another COVID patient, especially right now. I mean, I swear at least 50% of the complaints, if you look on the tracker are COVID patients. So, um, you know, it, it was just, it, it was quieter for sure. And what about before all this? Um, what was practice for you like before COVID? I mean, what sort of things were you doing? How busy were you? What did you feel about healthcare before COVID came along? I mean, this time of year, we would be in the midst of flu season, which is our probably busiest season in our particular emergency room that sees a fair amount of older, complex medical patients. So, you know, it would be, a, you know, a big spike. We'd be just drowning in flu patients. So now we're drowning in COVID patients. But um, obviously, that's a, a little less complicated. Um you know, all of those same frustrations that we're, uh, we have felt for years um, were still there. Uh, you know, the electronic medical record and metrics and patient satisfaction and, you know, all of these things that have been weighing on us for years, just a frustration of lots of things you were told you need to do which have not improved your efficiency, really you feel like benefited either patients or staff. I mean, in my EMR, and I'm sure in many, like in order to order a chest x-ray, I have to click chest x-ray, and then I have to click reason for chest x-ray, and then I have to click justification for chest x-ray. Who is that helping? You know, like, frankly, if I think a chest x-ray is indicated, I'm gonna, if you put a hundred boxes in front of me, I'm gonna click a hundred boxes. It's gonna take me an hour to order it, but I'm going to do it because I think that's what's right for the patient. So you can put up as many walls as you want, you know, and I think most doctors are like that. They want to do the right thing, but it's becoming harder and harder. And you just feel like so many things are being pounded on you from above um, that you don't have any control over. And, and it's very frustrating. And I think that's been building for, for years.
and all of that. And then the crushing blow of COVID and everyone's just like, I'm out, you know, just really had it to the nth degree. Yeah. So you put up a really passionate post and if you can just go there and and help us understand like what was, what was behind that? Where were you and what kind of tipped you over the edge? And it wasn't, you know, I I just want to be clear. It wasn't a rant. It wasn't angry. It wasn't, it was just saying, you know, this is really, really hard and I'm tired. I mean, basically what I said is I'm just really demoralized trying to, it's like trying to fight a forest fire while everyone's lighting matches. Um, you, uh, what I likened it to is say you, your work is, you know, your workplace is toxic to you. There is, there is toxin in your workplace. It's not healthy for you to be there, but you go there anyway, because that's your job. And people are there, customers are there who have this toxin and they are willingly spreading it to you. For example, I can be treating a COVID patient who they come in, they know they have COVID, they're feeling something uncomfortable about it. They're exhausted. They can't breathe. They're nauseous. They're exhausted. Whatever it is, uh, you know, they feel weak. Um, and, but they are willing, I go to the room and their mask is down. So they have been breathing in and out in that room, building up a, you know, super hot spot of COVID and expecting me to walk in there and say, how can I help you when they are, they are just trying to give me the same misery that they're there for? Like, how can you be that callous? It's just very, very frustrating that, you know, you feel like, I'm, I'm risking myself and so is my nurse and my tech and the guy who cleans the rooms and the registration and they're all risking their health for you and you don't have the common courtesy to put on your mask while you're in there. It's a healthcare facility. You would think you want to keep, you know, do your best to keep out whatever germs are from yourself, uh, you know, uh, and it's just, you just feel like, uh, like, what's the point? You know, it's, it was just, it got to the point, it was just very, very frustrating. You're just tired of fighting the fight against people who don't seem to, they're not, they're not on your side. And that was basically it, was just like, please just care about the people around you, the people at the grocery store, the people standing in the post office line, the people who are treating you in the hospital. Um, and and it, yeah, it just got you know, you just feel like you're pissing in the wind, to be perfectly honest. You know, it's just aggravating. Is this a bigger issue in society in general? I mean, is this, is this selfishness? Is it, is it, is it lack of understanding? Is it, um, is it something going on in our society that makes people think that's okay or that, that has sort of underpinned this? What do you think? Oh, for sure. And I think, I I think somehow selfishness has become uh, acceptable in this society. Like nobody wants to, you think of back in like World War II, everybody like rationed stuff and, you know, did whatever jobs needed to be done. And like, I don't see people now willing to do those kind of things. You know, hell, when there was not enough toilet paper, everyone bought like 500 carts of toilet paper. You know, nobody was willing to say, well, I won't buy you know, four months worth. So somebody else can have a shred of toilet paper. 
you know, it's, I think, yes, selfishness is very, is very much a part of our society right now. Um, me first. And, you know, that comes down from the top, like, we're the best, me first, you know, our country first, you know, I'm not, I'm sorry, I don't want to get political. But, you know, I, I think that that is, is permeating things to, to a detrimental effect, for sure. And, it, you know, it's, it, it, it comes down to sort of a, a lack of caring in, in, a, in a funny kind of a way, which is kind of what is ingrained into us as doctors, right? That part of our role is to care for people. And when we see this conflict between our role to care for people and people not caring for one another, it does create a kind of a tension. Right. And it, and, you know, alternately it sort of makes you mad and sad and disappointed and, you know, and like you said, I think that's the extra frustration is that you feel like it's not only permeating these patients, but it's permeating society. So it's no different if I went out in the street, you know, it, it would be the same thing. You just feel like nobody wants to help everyone, anyone else, and they're all in their own little bubble. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and people just believing in alternative facts just isn't very helpful either. You know, uh, you can say the sky, the sky is purple and you can say it 150 times, but the sky still isn't purple. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you say it and pretend that it's true. It's not true. You know, sort of like all opinions are not uh, created equal and, you know, you don't want to devalue someone else, but there are things that are true there and there are things that are not true. And, uh, you know, there's no getting around that. But, you know, there are some facts which are indisputable. Yeah. So what I always think about are all the burdens that healthcare workers are carrying right now. So what you're what you're talking about is we're carrying the burden of science and and trying to educate people about the science one to one or on a larger scale. We're also carrying the burden of of empathy. It seems like for the entire society the burden of bearing witness to this horrible trauma that is pervasive in the country, but it, it's not pervasive in terms of what people are seeing. It's very sheltered and that only a select few people are bearing witness to this horrible trauma and they're, we're carrying it for the rest of society. Right. Oh, I totally agree. And we're also bearing the burden of taking care of doing the emotional work of taking care of the patients who can't have their families with them. And I think what you're saying is, you know, carrying one backpack is hard enough. Carrying all four is really getting, you know, it, it's starting to break down our knees and our backs and, and cripple us. For sure. And, and, you know, you don't want to be that jaded person, but sometimes you go in and you're just like, man, I am so frustrated, you know, that it's hard to muscle up a lot of uh, a, a lot of giving when uh, you just feel like, yeah, like you said, you're just being crushed by what you're carrying around. Yeah. So a lot of people have talked about this as being burnout, but I think, you know, in, partly in your post, it, you also talked about moral injury. And I wonder about what that, what about that resonates with you? How does it? How is that different to you than burnout? Well, you know, I think burnout is something, you know, that we all feel to some degree at this point in healthcare. Um, 
but I feel like burnout is a little bit of a, a blame game, like somehow doctors aren't strong enough to avoid burnout, quote unquote. Like it's our, our, our fault. We're not, we're not strong enough. We're not resilient enough. We haven't done enough yoga, you know, that uh, somehow it's our fault in our own weakness. But moral injury is more of you being frustrated that you can't do what you feel is the right thing whether that systems are preventing you from doing that, you know, uh, you, you have so, so little control over your, I mean, especially in the emergency room uh, of your work environment or your, you know, what's happening. Are, are they staffing? Okay. Upstairs are people getting to cat scan? There's no transporters today, like whatever it might be. Um, I, and all of the, those kind of things, you know, people are not, when people are doubting what you're standing for and why sort of you're doing it in the way that people are doubting science now, that sort of makes you feel like, how can I treat you if you can't even accept like the basic premise of what I'm doing? Um, so all of those things make you just feel like, yeah, morally you want to do the right thing, but you just can't. Um, and, and that's hard. And I think that's not necessarily something to be blamed on physicians themselves. I mean, it's a system that's, uh, that's kind of crushing, you know, and it's not just doctors. It's like all the nurses are feeling the same way, you know, and they're doing the same thing. I mean, they're going into the room probably twice as many times as I am. Every time you write a new order, they got to put on all the stuff and get in there and go through all of it over again. You know, I, I think they're they're a number one as far as just being crushed by this. So, um, you know, I, I feel for everyone, everyone doing this and the techs and, you know, just everyone who's there trying to do the right thing and just feeling like you're banging your head on a wall. What could make it different? Um, you know, I think people having a little more empathy for each other everywhere and and listening trying to uh, you know take in what the other person's saying like i said uh, you know there are some things that are just true because they're true and no amount of conspiracy theories or anything else will make them not true um but you know like like you just said before wendy you know we need to try and work together to figure out what what we can do to make the system better, because it's really the system that needs to change. And I think more than anything, this pandemic has shown that, that it just healthcare is so broken. And, you know, there, there's nothing, the goal, the basically, the, the insurers, their goal is to not pay for whatever service you're rendering. And you have to jump through all these created hoops in order to get paid for a service. I mean, what is the dry cleaner? You go take the cleaners cleaning and he dry cleans them and he gives them to you back. You don't expect that for free, you know, and nor do you expect to be rude to him. Like we have, you know, we're the only specialty or one of the few things. I mean, I guess waitresses, they have to do that too. But if you're really being rude, they can throw you out. You know, I'm supposed to be treating you and being nice to you until, you know, if you're assaulting us, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just frustrating. I, I think that, you know, everyone in healthcare needs to work together and people who are not in healthcare need to understand 
how broken it is and maybe lend their voices too to say, look, this isn't helping me. I mean, because it can't be only physicians and people in healthcare who are creating the hue and cry because somehow it seems self-serving. But if you have patients who are saying, this isn't helping, and I think if patients knew what doctors are trying to do to help them and what hoops they're going through, I mean, they'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, who would operate like that? You know, what, who designed this system? You know, and it's just, and of course, years and years and years, it's been building up into this ridiculous morass that we have now. So, Hallie, I think there's one really interesting thing that uh, you brought up that actually doesn't often come up when we're talking to people about moral injury, and that is this. Often people think about moral injury as being solely created by the organizational structure that they're in, sometimes by the corporate framework of the hospital system, sometimes by their individual hospitals that make things difficult for them, sometimes by the insurance system. One of the things you've been talking about is actually even bigger than that. It's sort of a societal problem in that the reason it's so difficult to take care of these patients is certainly organizational and insurance and things like that. But there's also society that's making it hard for you to take care of these patients because of a belief structure, because of all these things that are going on in COVID that actually create that difficulty as well. Is, is that fair to say? Oh, I totally agree. Because you feel like, I mean, there have been patients who have apparently woken up off of a ventilator with COVID and are still like, I don't believe in COVID. So what are you supposed to do about that? You know, like, I, I don't even know where to go with that. How can you get people to do the right thing and wear masks or socially distant or don't go visit, you know, Aunt Mabel, who's 97, if you don't believe the disease even exists? If you say that's BS and that's, it's not deadly. One in a thousand people in the entire country are dead now from this disease. I don't understand. I don't know how to impress upon people anymore that it is serious. You know, uh, I, they're like, "Oh, you're diagnosing COVID to make money," and you know things like that. You're just like, "Wow, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this." Um, so, uh, yeah, society is really, and that's the thing. You feel like there's no escape from that kind of thing. Even when you're not at the hospital, you're still attempting to like educate people and convince them that things are real and they should have a vac vaccine. You know, if they want to get, even if you don't believe in it, if you want to get back to the country, you're going to need to have herd immunity. What's the fastest way to do that is to get vaccinated. I mean, there's just a practical argument for that, regardless of whether you quote unquote believe in it. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's just an inescapable thing that you're, the moral injury is that like, there's no escaping from trying to get people to, you know, believe in it. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's just frustrating for sure. So the, the thing that I, that I feel like, um, what you're saying is that not only are we fighting the administration, but we're also fighting patients who don't believe that their best interest is in our best interest, that, that we're working toward the same thing. Correct. Right. Exactly. And so, so, you know, how do we, how do we work towards that realignment? And that's a, that's a big challenge. Yeah, for sure. That's a darn good question.
Um, I, I think people need to, yeah, everyone needs to be more open-minded, I think on all sides. And, uh, and we just need to start listening and trying to, to work together rather than, I feel like there's a lot of opposition in society. It's right now it's black, it's white, it's up, it's down. It's, you know, if you're for this, then I'm against that. And, you know, I, I think we need to learn to meet in the middle and, I think that the past, uh, the recent past has been very polarizing and people who were kind of leaning towards the middle are now leaning towards the edges and, and it's going to take a while, I think, to get people on a more reasonable track. That's um, obviously certainly one of the goals of our podcast, Ali, to kind of get the word out there and to kind of get people communicating again. And um, so it's, I think, I think it's incredibly helpful to for people to hear your perspective and your experiences so that we can actually get some of this conversation going and try and, you know, um, build some empathy, build some understanding and some common ground again. I would like that. So would we. So I, I don't know that we've solved any problems today, but I feel like, um, I think it's really important that we get the, that we get the voices of the front lines out to people who can hear it. And um, if there were one thing, if you could ask for one thing, a specific action that people could take, whether it's your coworkers or it's the people who are coming in for your help, what would that be? Uh, just to care, to care about the people who are trying to help you, to care about each other, to care about your neighbor, just understand it's, it's a tough time for, for everyone and we need to cut each other some slack and try and just care for each other. Like, yes, maybe physically you're in your own bubble, but like reach out to your friends and and understand that everyone who is is serving you in any capacity, whether it be healthcare or the postal worker or the guy at the grocery store, they're all taking on something of some risk to help you. So you could take a moment to say, just say thank you. I mean, that's probably the most underused two words that I know of. And it, sometimes you make someone's day if you just say thank you. Well, um, thank you. I deeply appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing those words. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing every day. It matters. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Spectacular, Hallie. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is important. It's worthwhile. And these are the words that people need to hear. And yeah. um, if people don't want to hear it. They still need to hear it. <laughs> it's important. I mean, it, it, not only does it take guts to do what you do every day, I, I think it takes an inordinate amount of courage to come here and talk about it and sort of drop that facade for half a second and say, I'm a person in here. And I just need you to say thank you. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
I think we're just going to leave that where it is. I think that was awesome. So I needed to take just a minute after talking to Hallie to pull myself back together because that was a really, for me, having worked in the ER, having faced nothing like what she's faced, to hear her say, all I need is thank you, is, you know, that, that that just hurts me. How hard is thank you? Right. And this is just another perfect example of moral injury. You know, here's someone who's super tough, super accomplished, um, can handle an awful lot of things. And this is overwhelming to her. Like she is one of the most resilient people I know. She rides 50. She purchased herself on the back of a 1500 pound prey animal for fun. You know, she rides horses and anybody who rides horses is pretty tough to start with just at at a baseline. And then you add medical school and residency on top of that and going into the emergency room every day in a pandemic for the last nine months, putting herself at risk, her family at risk. I think she deserves a thank you. Yeah, we've got to do better for people like this. We just have to do better. So um, thanks for listening to our special episode and if you want to learn more you can go to fixmoralinjury.org and uh, please subscribe to our upcoming episodes rate us online leave a review it's easy for people to find us that way in the meantime be well thanks thanks